Nehemiah 13, and we'll begin reading from verse 1 of Nehemiah 13. Let us hear the word of God. On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. We'll end our reading there. Trust the Lord to bless this word to all of our hearts. Let us pray one last time, asking for his help. Our Father, we do come before thee one last time to beg of thee. For the filling of thy spirit now in both preacher and hearer. That we would all, Lord, be able to receive thy message aright. That we would take it not only into our heads but into our hearts. That you would minister grace to us now. That we may rightly hear the word. Rightly apply the word. And take it with us as we leave this place. We ask, O God, that you will cause thy word to be opened unto us by the Holy Spirit, that you will enable me, O Lord, to rightly deliver thy message, that thou wilt guard my mouth, o Lord, that thou wouldst not allow anything to proceed that is not of the Spirit, that you would not allow me to hold anything back that is of the Spirit. We pray, Lord, for thy help, believing that you will hear us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the focus of this message is going to be on the very suggestive phrase we find at the end of verse 2 of Nehemiah 13. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. This portion we've read is really quoting from Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 through 5. And in Deuteronomy 3 and Verse 5, 23, verse 5, we read, Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing, because the Lord thy God loved thee. And so as we enter into this portion of Scripture, it's really pointing us to the effort of an enemy of God's people to try and curse them, to try and cause harm to them to try and render them uh, weak and unable to defend the attack that was going to come from the Moabites. King Balak asking Balaam if he would curse God's people. And yet we're told that God turned the curse into a blessing. That God, because of who He is, being almighty, being sovereign, was able to take the effort of the enemy for the harm of His people and turn it around, reverse it to be for the good of His people. And as we see in Deuteronomy 23, 5, His his ability because He's God, but His motive for doing this was because He loves His people. Because the Lord thy God loved thee. And Balaam himself said in Numbers 23, 20, Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and He hath blessed, and I cannot Reverse it. And the meaning of all this is that God 
because of His covenant relationship to Israel, turned or reversed the effort of Balaam to prophesy destruction over Israel into a divine benediction of protection and prosperity over them. To turn the effort to harm into the blessing of beneficial grace. But I want to consider this phrase from a topical approach this evening because it is very suggestive to us and it highlights for us a theme that you find throughout the entire Bible. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. The theme that you find here suggested is a theme that you find all throughout the Scriptures and that theme simply is that God is overruling all things for His glory and for the good of His people. You find this theme in Genesis 50 verse 20 when Joseph says to his brethren, But as for you, ye meant evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And you find this theme in Romans 8, 28, that famous verse we all know so well, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. God overruling curses into blessings. That's the same theme we find here. And in one sense, you can summarize the message of the entire Bible by this statement in Nehemiah 13 too. What I mean is that the Bible begins by recounting the history of man's fall, which brought about the curse of sin and all the suffering that we face in this world. And the rest of the Bible reveals to us how God is turning that curse into the blessing of redemption in Jesus Christ for His own glory. And it's interesting for us to note the use of the word turn that we find in this phrase. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. That word turned occurs in several places in the Old Testament. It occurs in Exodus 7.15, referring to the miraculous power of God. We read in Exodus 7, verse 15, that the rod which was turned to a serpent Thou shalt take in thine hand God's word to Moses, the rod that was turned to a serpent. So we're pointed to the fact that God is able by His power to miraculously turn a rod into a serpent. You also see it in Exodus chapter 10, this word used. And it, refer, it shows us God's sovereign control of the wind. We read in Exodus 10, 19, And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. Now, what's interesting about that and how it occurs there is in verse 13, it was an east wind that the Lord used to bring in the locust. And yet in verse 19, we're told the Lord used the same wind to take away the locust, showing His sovereignty over the control of the wind. He turned a mighty west wind. And this word occurs in, Ex in Esther chapter 9, verse 1. We read there now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned 
to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. You see there again, man's effort, fallen man's effort to cause harm to the people of God, to destroy the people of God, and yet we're told it was turned to the contrary. It's even stronger in Esther 9 verse 22. We read, As the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies, and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day. Turned. The Lord providentially controlling the plans of men to turn the worst of intentions into a great blessing for His people. God has revealed Himself. That's why I, this is why I showed us all those words, the occurrences of that word, because God has revealed Himself to us as the one who is turning curses into blessings. He is still doing this today in the lives of His people and in the work of His church. We see Him doing this in creation itself. You see it every year. The curse of winter becomes the blessing of spring. Well, maybe here you have the blessing of winter because it's so cold, but around in normal parts of the world, it's kind of a curse. Needless to say, you get the point. God is is doing this. He's showing us this character of Himself that He is the one who's controlling all things for the good of His people turning the curse into a blessing. And there are different uses of the word curse in the Bible. Uh, There are different contexts in which it occurs. But when we think of curse in this message, when we think of curse in what we're considering from this text, we're thinking of curse in the sense of negative results of the fall. Things that we face as a result of being in the world. And the real point of all this is that God is able to turn any and every, the worst of curses, into the best of blessings. Even when we can't see how. And that is so often the case. You look at suffering in the lives of God's people. You look at curses that we find in this world, the curse of wicked men whatever curses you can think of, and it is very often hard to see how they're going to be made for our good. And yet, that's the truth that we have to come back to. God does this for His glory. He does it because He loves us, and He does it because we are in union with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, from this phrase, I want to speak to you about God turning curses into blessings. God turning curses into blessings. In just two ways. There are, there are many directions we could go with this, but I just want two things for us to look at from this phrase. First of which is that in Christ, the curse of the law is made the blessing of the gospel. In Christ, the curse of the law is made the blessing of the gospel. If you'll turn to Galatians chapter 3, we'll see this there. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In Christ, the curse of the law is made the blessing of the gospel. First, we want to see here, as we think about this, that outside of Christ, this is the curse, outside of Christ, the law of God condemns you. Outside of Christ, the law of God condemns you. As we read in Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All things. All things written in the book of the law to do them. I trust that you see clearly when you look at the law of God, your inability to keep it. I trust that when you think of the law of God, you immediately see the condemnation that it brings to you outside of Christ. And you think of the curse of the misery that the law of God brings upon you apart from Christ. Every time you look at it and rightly examine yourself by it, all you can find is condemnation. Any of the commandments rightly looked at, you will find condemnation. It is as James says in James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, one point, he is guilty of all. That leads us to misery. That leads you, should lead you, to cry out with the Apostle Paul as he did in Romans chapter 7. O wretched man that I am, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That is the misery of being, of looking at the law of God outside of Christ. So that once we begin to see how miserably you fail to keep the law, then you begin to feel the curse of hopelessness and the weight of the just wrath of God. That you deserve. And yet, you see that curse. How be it, our God turned the curse into a blessing. Because outside of Christ, the law of God condemns you. But in Christ, the law of God can comfort you. What do I mean by that? The law of God can comfort you. In Christ. We're told in the same chapter where we read about the curse of the law. We're told in verse 24 of Galatians 3, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto faith in Christ that we might be justified. Or to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And so that is, that is the comfort that can come from the law. The only comfort is that it points you to Christ and your need for Him. Christ who is the promised seed of Abraham through which God would bless the nations as we were considering earlier. And so God has brought you into spiritual union with Jesus Christ so that you are now legally righteous before Him. And you can say, Romans 5.1, Therefore being justified by faith, 
we have peace with God. And so now when you look at the law of God, now when you, when you examine the law, everything in the law that used to condemn you now shows you the extent of your righteousness in Christ. It shows you the extent of your righteousness in Christ. That is that in Him who is your righteousness, there was nothing committed contrary to the law and nothing left undone contained in the law. You think of what we read in James 2.10. That if you offend in one point, the same is guilty of all. And so when we read that, and we think about the righteousness that the law demands, Christ has earned it. And it's what you have in Him if you are in union with Him. We can never grow weary of hearing this, brothers and sisters. This is truth that we must never allow to grow old. That we, when we look at the law of God in union with Jesus Christ, we behold a perfect standard of righteousness that He has upheld, that He has fulfilled, that you and I could never fulfill. And in that He has turned the curse of the law into the blessing of the gospel. It is, as our our Westminster Shorter Catechism says in question 14, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And so as you look at the law in every way that you failed and do fail, Christ has succeeded. That is God turning a curse into a blessing. The blessing of gospel comfort in Christ. Christ who became a curse for me and bare all the wrath of God upon my sin. In Christ, the curse of the law has been made the blessing of the gospel. That's the first thing I want us to consider. The second thing I want us to consider as we keep this theme in mind, how be it our God turned the curse into a blessing. The second thing is that in Christ, the curse of conflict is made the blessing of conformity and conquest. Follow me here. In Christ, the curse of conflict is made the blessing of conformity and and conquest. We read in Romans chapter 8, as we've already quoted, verse 28, that we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And we read in Romans eight thirty-seven: Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through Him that loved us. And so in Christ, the curse of conflict is made the blessing of conformity and conquest. What do we mean by conflict? Conflict in the sense of our warfare. In the sense of the things that we face in this life as a result of the curse of the fall. The result of the presence of sin being in this world. We are constantly in conflict, in warfare. And that is a curse to be in conflict. Constantly in this world. And yet, 
that curse of conflict is by God's grace being turned into the blessing of conformity to Christ and the conquest of our enemies. You see, outside of Christ, you are in conflict at war with the kingdom of light. That is what we learn from Ephesians chapter 2, is it not? In Ephesians 2, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Outside of Christ, we were at war with God's kingdom. You were a part of the kingdom of darkness. You were on the losing side, fighting a battle that you could never win. You were aligned with and in bondage to the flesh, the world, and Satan, among whom we all had our conversation in times past. Paul includes us all in that kingdom of darkness that was waging war against the kingdom of light. So whether inwardly or outwardly, you were at war with God. And the effect of that was felt in the world. Your life outside of Christ. The effect of you being at war with God was felt in the world. You think of that. That your life, my life, outside of Christ, was a curse upon the world. You are of no good and of no use to anyone but Satan. Do you feel that? What you were outside of Christ. Warring against His kingdom. Howbeit, our God turned the curse into a blessing. He has turned your life from being a curse upon the world into being a blessing upon the world. And so as imperfect as you may be, as imperfect as I may be, we have to recognize that by the grace of God, you are now a means by which God blesses others. Whereas before you were a curse upon the world. And so outside of Christ, we were, with, we were in conflict with the kingdom of light. But now in Christ, in Christ, you are in conflict at war with the kingdom of darkness. It's the reversal. Before you were warring against God. Now you are warring against all the things you were aligned with before. The world, the flesh, and Satan. That's what we read, is it not, in Ephesians 6? The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so in Christ, there's a reversal of your conflict. So that you're no longer warring against God, now you're warring against the old enemies. And this is because you are now being conformed to the kingdom of light. You are being conformed to the king of the kingdom of light. You are now waging war with the flesh, the world, and Satan. And I want us to consider here something of the conflict we face against the world, the flesh, and Satan. Your conflict with the flesh is now seen with regard to sin. It is a daily conflict that you and I face. We are in conflict with sin because we are now in Christ. We are waging war against our flesh. So the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 5, verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things you would. In other words, there's a battle going on. There's a war that is raging in every believer against the Spirit and against the flesh. And we're told here by Paul that if we walk in the Spirit, He shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we feel that daily conflict. You feel it as you interact with people in your family, people at your place of work. The thoughts that you have to wage war against. It's a daily conflict with sin that you and I face because we are now in union with Jesus Christ. Whereas before we were happy to go along. Now God has put us at odds with our sin. Your conflict with the flesh is seen with regard to sin. Your conflict with the flesh is also seen with regard to suffering. That's a conflict that we face in this world. Suffering, not suffering because of sin. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the suffering that is common to all God's people in this world because of the curse of sin. Suffering, affliction of of body, of mind, of emotions, of soul. That's a part of our conflict. That's a part of the things that we face that God is going to turn into a blessing. And you you wonder how those things can be turned into blessings. And certainly we can't answer those questions to some degree. But you think of what we're meditating on here in connection with what is said in Job. Job chapter 42 You can turn there if you like, but Job 42 verse 12 says that, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, or prospered the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And you you think after all that Job went through, after all the loss and the suffering and the hurt, how could it be said That the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. I'm not going to dive in 
to that as a subject, but one way that we can see is that Job had learned to depend upon God in a way that he could not have learned otherwise. Job had learned to say in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's a hard thing to say. Especially in what light of what Job had been facing. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job could now say in Job 42.5, Speaking to God, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. There was something of the experience that Job had of God that became more than he'd ever known before because of the conflict that he was facing with regard to suffering. It is the same for you and I. That God uses these things to conform us to Christ. The greatest example of suffering is our Savior. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we're told that we are being conformed to His image. May the Lord help us to endure our suffering. So that is your conflict with regard to the flesh. Your conflict with the world is seen with regard to its hostility towards you. This is something we all daily face as well. In light of the curse of the fall, we are in a world that is hostile towards us because we follow Jesus Christ. That is what our Lord told us, how He told us it would be. In John chapter 17, our Lord said, Verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Well, why why do they hate us? Well, because of what he says in verse 18. He says that he has sent them, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. He's given them the word, and he sent them into the world. And because you bring the message of Christ to a sin-cursed world, the world hates you. That's a reality we all face. And the more we preach the gospel, the more we share the message of Christ, except by the grace of God as He transforms the hearts of sinners, we are hated. The world is hostile towards us. And that is a conflict that we face and even contributes to our suffering. In terms of persecution. That's your conflict with the world. Your conflict with Satan is seen with regard to his constant attacks against you. This again, it's a daily conflict that you and I are facing. We're told, as we already read in Ephesians 6.12, that we are wrestling with the devil. That we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And Satan is relentless and walking about seeking whom he may devour. That's conflict. That's warfare that we are now engaged in. And all this conflict is exhausting. 
It exhausts me to even think about those conflicts that we just highlighted. That we as Christians are constantly in conflict in this world. We could say the Christian life is in many ways a life of conflict. All of this conflict is a part of the curse of a fallen world. Back to our text. How be it our God turned the curse into a blessing. He is using all of this conflict to conform you to the image of Christ. How exactly is He doing that? One way that we can say is that in all of this conflict, He is teaching us dependence. He is teaching us to depend upon Him. Christ in His humanity was completely dependent on the Father and the Holy Spirit. You, give an, you have an indication of that in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, where we're told that Christ, being full of the Holy Ghost, was led into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. He was dependent upon the Father sustaining Him by the Spirit in His humanity. So Christ perfectly models Dependence upon God in His humanity. And yet you and I are prone to trust in our own strength as we go through this conflict. We're prone to trust in our own strength. And so was the Apostle Paul. And what did the Lord say to the Apostle Paul? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Lord said to Paul, Paul saying, verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches and necessities, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul took pleasure in these things not because he was out to to suffer for suffering's sake, But he did it for Christ's sake because God's strength and power will be manifested as he sustained his servant through these conflicts. God turns the curse of our weakness in our conflict into the blessing of the display of his sustaining grace and strength. But this conflict will not last forever. This conflict is a part of another blessing. The blessing of conquest. Because in Christ, not only are you being conformed to Him, but in Christ you are going to conquer the kingdom of darkness. Not only are you at war with it, you're going to conquer it. It's it's established, it's, it's fact There's nothing that's going to change about it. 
back to Romans chapter 8, what we read there in verse 37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. What are all these things referred to? Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And so not only are you in conflict to be conformed, you are in conflict in all these ways to conquer and display God's grace. And I trust that by us looking at this, and just in this light, it's not like I'm telling you something you haven't read before. You've read Romans 8.28 before. But just seeing it from Nehemiah 13.2, our God turning curses into blessings, this is, this is knowledge that we need to keep at the forefront of our minds and in our hearts to see us through the curse of conflict. To help us see that God is somehow, some way, always turning it into a blessing. Through Christ, you are going to conquer your flesh. Romans 8 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, that is, the redemption of our body. Waiting. You are waiting to conquer your flesh, to have your body redeemed, so that you will not have the conflict with your flesh any longer. You will have a glorified body. Who of us here can fathom what that will be like? To no longer struggle with sin in the flesh. Through Christ you are going to conquer the world. We're told in Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, 10 specifically, we are going to reign with Christ on the earth. That's how it's going to happen objectively. We are going to reign with Christ in the world. But but we might ask, how is that happening practically? How are we conquering the world practically? And we're not going to turn there, but you think of the example in Acts chapter 8. You think of how the persecution, the great persecution came against the church. What a curse that would have been. It would have been horrible to go through that persecution. But what happens as the world tries to quench, tries to stomp out Christ's church? That great persecution causes believers to be scattered and they go forth everywhere preaching the word. And that's how God does it. He he, he takes the efforts of fallen man, the efforts of wicked people to try and stomp out Christ's church and He turns it around to further His gospel and to save lost sinners. Philip goes down to Samaria and preaches Christ unto them. And then he goes into the desert and and witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch. And all those things resulted from the persecution that the world brought against the church. You think of the curse of the Apostle Paul as he was Saul. The curse he would have been upon the church. Hauling Christians to prison. Trying to get them to blaspheme. the, The curse of that man's life. And yet... The Lord turns him into the Apostle Paul. 
to bring us over half of our New Testament. To be a vessel for the preaching of the gospel to countless lives. That's how, that's how a way, that is some ways that God is practically conquering the world through his people. Through Christ, you are going to conquer Satan. You will conquer him. Romans 16, 20, And the God of peace shall bruise or crush, tread Satan under your feet shortly. Because of your union with Christ, God can say under your feet. That's amazing. That this enemy who is more powerful than we can ever imagine, the Lord will bruise him under our feet. These things that are all curses in one sense that we've considered our God is turning into a blessing. Conformity and conquest. So that we can look back and see that our victory, when you stand one day in glory and you look back, you can see that your victory was all of God and none of yourself. Why does the Lord do this? Why would He do it for such wicked people as we? We come back to what we read at the beginning. The Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee because the Lord thy God loved thee. All this brings glory to His name. And in light of these things, we should give thanks to God For his condescension to us. And as you go into your week, you should pray. Pray about the curses that you want to see turned into blessings for the glory of God. We didn't look at this, but that that is the context of what we were reading in Esther. You you go, we're not going to turn there, but Esther 4.16, when Esther has gone before King Ahasuerus and she comes and to Mordecai and she says, will you fast and will you pray for me? Well, she doesn't say pray, but she says, well, they fast and prayer is implied there. I submit to you, go look and you see that when there's, when there's fasting, the people of God gathering themselves together to fast, prayer is implied. And so those statements we read about God turning the curse into a blessing were brought about in His glorious providence through answering His people's prayers. The day that was going to be sorrow to the Jews turned into joy was a response of our gracious God to the prayers and fastings of His people. And so, as you, as you leave here today, you think of the curses we're looking at in our nation, in the church, in the world. The answer is not merely to look on passively We should be comforted knowing that God is sovereignly turning curses into blessings and yet we should actively pray that the Lord will manifest that in these days. That He will turn the Saul's of our day into Paul's. 
That He will take our enemies that seek to do us harm and bring their efforts to nothing and turn them about to the good of Christ's church. I'm not going to list off the curses that you see in this world. You can think of them. But I submit to you that is what we should do. Seek the Lord for Him to do as He has done all throughout the Scriptures, all throughout the history of the church. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Let's pray before we sing. Our gracious, loving Father in heaven, we bless Thee for Thy wonderful truth. We pray that You will gird our hearts with what we've considered. That You will enable us to take hold of Thy glorious promise that You will work all things together for good. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to seek thy face in these days, that we may see your glory manifested in this way as you turn curses into blessings. For we ask it in Christ's holy and precious name.